Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So this is the Metzgers, <laughs> and he really wants that mic right now. Yeah. Um, so tell me how, talk about, tell them how you got, in, got into serving uh, here at Hill City. Yeah. Um, so we help with the youth group here at um, We help with the youth group here. And honestly, when we came to Hill City, we weren't really considering the youth group at all. Um, and <laughs> really, really, we were just kind of waiting for somebody to approach us and say, hey, we want you to serve here. So this is where you're going to serve. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go see, yeah, you want to go see someone? That's awesome. <laughs> now he gets handed to Brad, you're going to hear a scream from behind the... the... <laughs> awesome, so you jumped in with the youth, that's where you yes. were going, yeah. Yes, so basically we knew that our friends Hayden and Jess needed help with the youth, and instead of waiting around anymore, we just decided this is where we're going to serve. Yeah, yeah. but had no plans like youth ministry, no. I love junior mm-hmm. high kids. And, no. You know, no, right. No. Not that you don't love junior high kids, right? What's, and you saw a little picture of that because I know we were going because last hour, what's a little side perk that's, that's been as you guys have jumped in here? Yeah, um, we just really wanted Camden to be along with us while we're serving in any capacity, um, just so you can kind of see that there's more to life than just about us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other people that we can serve in the church, um, and it's been really great because he knows a lot of people around the church now, uh, a lot of teenagers that just love him and he gets to love yep. on too, so... That's, that was big as Emily and I were raising our daughters, and well, we still are, but just to have students that they look up to. It's a huge part of us raising them and, and pointing them to Jesus. So serving, we won't lie to you. There'll be times in serving, it's just like, man, this is tough. Like I, it's, well, we, we work all day. I don't feel like going to whatever this is. Or I don't want to get up early on a Sunday. And there's those moments, right? But there's hopefully some other moments that are like impactful, like this is why I do what I do. What, are, what have been one of those moments for you guys? Yeah, and uh, I tried helping on the setup team as well. That just didn't work out for us, so I had to try something else. Um, so, I mean, there is failure at times, and that's okay. We can grow in that. But, um, I mean, something that really stood out for me recently that kind of made going to youth right, literally right after work uh, for me was um, on Friday night, we had a family movie night for the newly promoted sixth graders that are coming in. Um, and so we teach fourth and fifth grade Sunday school occasionally. And so just getting to see one of our students come from the kids ministry into the youth group is, I mean, it's just really moving (laughs) to kind of see them grow up in this church. Yeah, awesome. What about for you? Um, So actually on Wednesday night, Hayden and Jess did a prayer night where we just kind of let the students pray about the new school year. Um, And so I got to rotate with a couple of senior girls and just kind of hear them pray, um, hear what they're anxious about and things like that, things that don't come up in conversation. but it was just kind of like a good spiritual moment where mm-hmm. we got to, I don't know, get to hear their hearts. Yeah, awesome. So obviously they're here because serving, I mean, serving at Hill City has made a big impact in your life. And then you guys are using your gift for the kingdom, which is what God wants you to do and has equipped you for. So that's awesome. So we've been invite any and all of you, um, if you're not serving in our church, at the end of the gathering, take your cards out there. College students, you're welcome too. We're going to have another opportunity just for college students next week after the gathering. We're going to feed you lunch, students, next week after the gathering, pizza, and give you more opportunity to serve. So make sure you come hungry to the 10 o'clock next week.
All right, let's jump in. Luke chapter 6. We've been walking through the book of Luke. We're in, uh, we're in Luke. We're going to jump in. I have to hurry because I have a long introduction and two sermons in one in 40 minutes, maybe 45. All right, so we got to get after this. So what we're going to, the story we're going to jump in today is a parable that Jesus taught. And this is really our first, as we've walked through, walking through Luke, one of their first times in a parable. And so I felt like I needed to stop and kind of help us understand what's going on. Because if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is a teacher that uses metaphor, uses parables to communicate what he wants his listeners to know. He is a Jewish rabbi. And his primary method of communication was through teachings, metaphor, parables. A parable, just think of an extended metaphor, a story, an illustration meant to unpack this deep meaning, this rich meaning theologically. But here's what we have to understand. Our way of perceiving the world is shaped by the culture in which we grew up in. And listening to parables, for many of us, we can kind of miss them, or really we can see them sometimes as simple little children's stories, shallow. Even the story we... Uh, we, we're going to look at today, you know, you have the whole song, the wise man built his house upon, right? You guys know it. And the rains came down and the, and the floods came up like that. that. We know that. And it seems simple. But here's what I'm going to argue and you'll see today. Jesus is not a simple teacher. And as we approach his parables, they're actually packed with layers of meaning and insight. Here's a question. Why does Jesus teach like that? Like you never say Jesus, say, okay, um, Audience, here's my main point, this, and then I'm going to give you five bullet points to prove my main, he never does that. Why? Because Jesus was an Eastern teacher. He's a Jewish rabbi from the Eastern school of thought. You and I, you know what we're we're influenced? Western culture, Western thinking. It comes from the, the Greeks. Philosophy, reason, logic, that's how you and I think. You and I approach truth, approach learning from a Western mindset. A Western mindset is built on logic and reason, concrete, or I'm sorry, abstract thoughts, philosophies. Jesus is an Eastern teacher. His arguments are not built on abstract thoughts in the clouds. He gives very concrete examples, real examples. So understanding how we approach truth and how we learn is essential to understanding the parables. When I, when I work with pre-married couples, when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, I, I tell them that men and women are inherently different in how we perceive the world, right? And, and I illustrate this. I, said, I say, guys wear blue sunglasses. They have sunglasses that have blue lens, lenses in them. And everything that guys see is through that lens of blue. Girls, however, wear pink sunglasses, Everything they see is through this lens of pink. So husbands and wives, the young people don't understand this yet, but you know, like you're seeing something and the guy's like, no, it's this. And the woman's like, no, it's not. It's this. You're seeing the same thing. It's from a different, a different filter, a different perspective. Like here's a, here's a really short illustration of this. So a lot of these college guys this morning got up about five minutes before they needed to leave this morning. And if they would have opened their closet and the following phrase would come out of their mouth, I have nothing to wear. Now we have a lot of our young ladies here that got up this morning a little bit earlier than the guys did to get ready. And let's say they looked at their closet and said the phrase, I have nothing to wear. Same sentence, but those mean two different things. When the guy says, I have nothing to wear, it means 
he has nothing clean. <laughs> Which he really doesn't care, he's going to wear it anyway. When the girl says, I have nothing to wear, what's that mean? There's nothing cute in my closet that I feel like, right? That's what that means. Two different perspectives. Silly illustration, but it's how we, it's understanding how the Jews in Jesus' day learn differently from you and I influenced by Western culture and thinking. We think of things in the abstract, reason, philosophy, logic. Think of things in the concrete. When we lay out arguments, we start with the beginning. Here's our statement of what we believe. Then we have facts to build up that statement. Then we have a conclusion to tie in all together, right? That's how you learn. The Jewish believers didn't learn like that. With Jewish truth, re, like the, the argument is circular. It starts here and it goes here and then it comes back to here. And the whole time we're circling through. That's Eastern thought. How many of you uh, ever read the book uh, from the Bible, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs? Raise your hand, really, really high, some of you. So it's a, it's a poem, a few chapters of love, marriage, romance, sex. That's what it's about. And it can be very confusing for us because you read the first chapter and they're kind of getting to know one another. And then in chapter two, they're like right in the heat of passion on their honeymoon night. And then you go to the next part and they're meeting each other again. You're like, what is going on here? And then all of a sudden there's friends there. They're like, hey, this is really good. And you're like, what? This is really jacked up. Right? Why is it written like that? Because it's Eastern. It circles. It's not linear. Jesus was an Eastern rabbi. We oftentimes, most of us think from a Western viewpoint. Let me give you an example and then we'll, we'll kind of move on from this point. If I, I don't want to hear from you. By the way, if you're new, Hill City, we have, a, we have a conversation sometimes, okay? If I ask you who God is, and you're going to explain to me who God is, what are some words that you would say? Come on. Sovereign. What? Sovereign. Sovereign. What else? Creator. Holy. Daddy. What? Daddy. Daddy. That's good. Okay, now actually that's an Eastern. That's an Eastern one. Just anyone, Right? So when we say holy, sovereign, just, you know what that is? That's Western philosophy. That's Western reason. Like, can you picture just? No, it's abstract. Can you picture holy? No, it's in the abstract. Now, if you would ask a Jewish believer, an Eastern thought, hey, who is God? Here are some words they might say. Daddy, father, my rock, my bread, the light concrete. It's the way they perceive truth. So when we approach these parables, we have to understand Jesus is not this weak teacher that uses silly kid stories. Jesus is teaching to a Eastern people, Jews, in a way that they are used to learning. First Corinthians says this, um, that backs this up, for Jews demand signs, concrete, Greeks seek wisdom, abstract. We learn differently. So the challenge for us, unless you grew up in an Eastern school of thought, which maybe some of you did, the challenge for us is to take something like a parable and then understand what is the deeper truth that Jesus is trying to communicate here because it's often way deeper than what you're even aware of. So the challenge for parables as we approach these is we must read a parable 
in the context and the culture in which that parable was shared. So you can't come on a Tuesday morning in your Bible time, open to a parable and say, God, what do you have for me today? Boom. Here's where you first have to start. God, what were you communicating to them? The original context. And now, what does that mean for me? Here's what one, um, one um, theologian said. He said, the Bible is not just the word of God, but the word of God spoken through people in history. The people and their history cannot be ignored without missing the writer's intentions. So if we're going to understand the teachings of Jesus, we must immerse ourselves in the people and the history and the culture in which Jesus spoke those words. And that's what we're going to try to do today. As we approach this parable, let's sit back in the crowd. Among a bunch of, of Jews, Jesus' disciples, this bigger group that says they're following him, these rulers of Israel, these Pharisees, let's sit back in the crowd with them and let's listen in that Jewish mindset. That's what we're going to try to do. Let's jump in. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. That was my long introduction, by the way. Here's sermon one. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So Jesus talking to these people. This is what he said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? There's people saying, Jesus, you're my Lord, like we're following you. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's introducing us to two types of people. Those that hear and do and those that just hear. He says there's two types of people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears and does, like they're, they're going to be my disciples. But there's a group that simply hear. And then he tells a parable to make an illustration. Again, if you and I, Western thought, we would say, okay, point number one, if you want to be a hearer and doer of Jesus, he doesn't do that. He tells us a story. Verse 48. So this man that hears and does, he, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke, broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do my words, he is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The other version of Matthew says, built his house on the sand, on the sand. When the storm, or when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, we read this, and on the surface, this looks pretty simple. Ah, Jesus telling a story about people building a house. Of course, I know what that means. Christians, non-Christians, all right, I got this. But there's way much more going on. In Sermon 1, I want to help you see how, as Western viewers not understanding the culture, we could skip over this big truth that Jesus might be saying. And then in Sermon 2, We'll try to bring it and help us understand where we fit into this. So when, the, when Jesus tells this parable, some key words that he used, house or shelter, storm or stream or flood or like this image of a storm and this, this mighty river water coming, this mention of a rock, 
or a foundation, this, this stone. For the Jewish listeners hearing this story, they would have immediately thought of a passage of scripture because most of them had their Old Testament memorized. Memorized. They knew it. And they would have immediately thought of a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah and recognized Jesus' words that he used. For example, if I started a story by there was a city that had two tall towers and one day something came in and, and knocked those towers. Like automatically, you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That's what would have happened when Jesus shared this parable. Hold your finger here. And Luke, jump to Isaiah. It's going to be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 28. When the people, the original context, would have heard Jesus' words, they would have been thinking of this passage in Isaiah that they would have known as Jews. They knew this passage. This is their history, their lineage. It's spoken through the prophet Isaiah to the Jewish people and more spe a specific group in the Jewish people. Look at verse 14. Let's see if we figure out how this are. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Now, here's my first question. Who is he speaking to? I need that cricket soundtrack on my iPhone. Who's he, you see, who's he speaking to? Rulers in Jerusalem, right? The, the leaders of Israel is who the prophet's speaking to. And here's what he says. Verse 15, because you have said, this is Israel, these leaders, quote, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. And we have an agreement when the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come for us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken our shelter. Now, what in the heck does that mean? Let's go back there. Here's what he says. Those of you who hear the Lord, Lord, because you have made an agreement or a covenant with death and with Sheol. Now, you don't know what that's talking about. Here's what that's talking about. Egypt. Israel has made, the, the leaders of Israel have made a covenant with Egypt, this other nation, a peace treaty, an alliance, a coalition, they're allies. And they've said, listen, there's this other nation that's coming and they're, 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 they're taking out every other nation in our area. And Israel said, listen, we know we need help. We can't fight these people alone. We need something bigger than ourselves. So we need Egypt. And so they made this pact with Egypt. And here's what they said, when the overwhelming whip passes through. Now that whip is in reference to the nation of Assyria. And if you know history, Assyrians are one of the greatest armies ever formed. They are ruthless and they are marching through Palestine, destroying other nations. And when they destroy them, it's bad. And the Jewish leaders knew this. They knew this nation of Assyria was heading towards them. So they made this pact with Egypt. And God calls it a pact of lies. And they have made falsehood their shelter, house, shelter. Let's keep going. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who is laid as a, what's the word? Foundation, you starting to catch it? In Zion, a, help me, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in that foundation will not be, it will not be in haste. G God is communicating to the Jewish leaders, listen, you have made a covenant. You have built your house, your shelter in this bond with Egypt. It is 
a shelter built on sand. Literally, Egypt's a nation of sand. It's in the desert. I am your rock. Egypt is not going to help you. The only thing that will save you from the Assyrians coming through is my power, my presence. I am the rock. And you guys have rejected me and built your security into something else. But he promises here, he says, there's this tested stone, a precious cornerstone, like he promises them, even though you're going to make a big mistake here, one day I'm going to raise up this stone, this precious stone that is your foundation, and that stone will never be moved. That's his promise. Verse 17, he go through this quick, and he says, I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and here's the storm, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Look in verse 17. Who's going to send the storm that was Assyria? Who's going to send it? You guys got to help me. Come on. Who's going to send it? God is. I will do this. I will send the storm. You built this refuge on sand with this pact with this other nation. I'm going to send the storm called Assyria. It's going to wipe out your agreement. Verse 18. Then your covenant with death with Egypt will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. See the reference. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. Here's what the prophet just told the Israels of leader. You have made an agreement with Egypt. It will not stand. The whip, the storm of Assyria will attack you and your nation will fall and that's exactly what happened. The northern kingdom of Israel is scattered, they're destroyed. Egypt sends a little coalition, a little small army that doesn't even slow down the Assyrians. And it was all for nothing. Now Jesus is communicating to a group of people that know this story. What has he just announced to this group of people, specifically those Pharisees, the rulers of Israel that are in the crowd? What has he announced? The house that you have built your religion of Israel is sinking sand. Jesus would say this, I am the rock. You know that rock that, Israel, that Isaiah promised long ago in this passage we just read? Here's what Jesus is telling them. I am the rock and your little house will not last. Can you imagine why the Pharisees wanted to kill him? That's a huge announcement to the leaders of Israel that I am the rock promised long ago from the prophet Isaiah. So that's sermon number one. And that would have been the context in which those Jewish believers would have been like, oh my gosh, this is serious. Because they know their history. Now, sermon number two, let's jump in. All right, so Jesus tells this story. This parable of people building houses, right? And here's what he says. He says there was, there was a, a man who heard and or who hears and also does, and there's one that just hears. And here's what he acknowledges. Both of these people build a house. That one's roof's a little crooked. Both of them build houses. Now, here's what we want to say. Like, okay, Hood, I know where you're going here. Well, this is easy. Come on, this is easy. Like, of course... This house, the people that hear and do, well, they're Christians. They're believers. 
And this house, just the hearers, well, those are, those are non-believers. I mean, they've heard about Jesus, but they're like, yeah, we don't want you. We reject you. No, that's not what's going on. Jesus is speaking to a group of people. And what does he say at the very beginning of this teaching? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? What is he acknowledging? Both of these people are building houses, and both of these people have professed faith in Christ. So this is not a parable about all the bad non-Christians and what's going to happen to them when, no. This is a warning to, from Jesus to those that would say, we are following you. Like we automatically want to talk about who's in and who's, well, I'm, in, I'm over here. Yeah, this is me. I'm in this camp. I'm at church. No, it's not what he's saying. Both people have built houses. Let's immerse yourself in the parable. Can you picture a house? Can you picture a new house being built? Beautiful pillars of stone sourced locally. Beautiful windows, big picture windows. Beautiful roof, like great backyard. Like, can you picture the house? Can you picture this beautiful dwelling? Here's what he's saying. Both builders have built houses and both of them built it with their own hands and looked back and said, wow, I just built that. Like, guys, you ever built anything and just sat back and go, like, yeah, dang right I did, right? It's like this moment of, ugh. Both of them have that. Both of them look back and, and their houses are beautiful. Their houses are built to their needs. Like, they build, you build a house based on your family. Think about this. These houses are built to hold their most precious things, children, their wife. Their greatest possessions. Like that's what the house is for. In this house, they have visions of Thanksgiving dinners. Maybe not there, but we would. Thanksgiving dinners. Times of celebration. Great meals. Laughter with friends. I mean, talking when you laugh till you cry. Like that's what they have pictured because they built these houses. Both are building houses. There's a difference though. Both of them build a house and both of them lay this house on a foundation. You have to lay a house on something. Here's the difference. One of them, there's this rock underneath. And one of them has built their house and as they're building their house, they dug down and they anchored. This is my anchor. Yep. That's as good as it gets. I may should put another one right here. There we go. They anchored their foundation into a rock, into this bedrock that was all over this place in Palestine where they would build. The other built a house, beautiful, but they anchored themselves just into the ground, to the sand, to the clay. Now, as Jesus is telling the story, all the people, they're, they're visualizing this because they've seen people build houses. And in first century Palestine, the time you built houses was in the summer because in the winter, the rains came and it was soggy and you can't, you can't build. It's, it's, it's the rainy season. You can't build in the winter. So houses were built in the summer. And if you can picture this builder out there starting to build his house in the heat of the sun. I mean, this is the desert. And what happens to the, to the ground in a, in a desert climate when it hasn't rained in a few months? What happens? It's hard, right? As a matter of fact, people, the historians say that the clay 
would turn to bronze almost. It was so hard because of the sun beating down on it that it felt like this bronze rock-type surface. So Jesus wants you to picture a guy. And this guy over here, he comes out to build his house and he starts digging and he hits that and he's like, oh, that's solid. But he knows. He's been taught by his, he knows what he needs to do. And so in the middle of the hot sun, 100 plus degrees, he's out there and he's digging and it takes a chisel and he, I mean, he's getting little pieces away because this clay is packed down. But he's digging and he's digging and he's digging and he's not going to stop until he hits rock. So in Palestine, there's rock everywhere. In some places, it may be six inches deep, and in some places, it may be six feet deep. He's going to dig until he gets to rock. This person, he gets a shovel out. It's a hot day, and he gets ready to put it in and just like <clears throat> stops. He's like, man, he tries it again, just stops gets the pick out, swings a pick, and just, just a little chunk comes out. And he's like, you know what? That's pretty hard. Like, I mean, that's a, found, that's a foundation. I mean, forget this 100-some degree work thing. I'm just going to start building. And that's what he does. And he wants you to picture the guy that kind of skips. He looks at the other guys like, dude, come on. This is good over here. Like, quit breaking your back. He wants you to picture these guys. He wants you to see, he wants you to understand that the sand, the clay, it's easier. It's easier to dig in. But this takes work. So here's the reality. Every single one of us are building houses. Every single one of us. And every single one of us have a foundation that we're anchoring into something. Let's call this foundation our identity. Both of us, all of us, long for a sense of identity, of purpose, of righteousness, of significance. Every single person, unless you're a sociopath, which is true, sociopaths don't care. Unless you're a sociopath, you desire significance, a life that has meaning. If you believe in God, righteousness with God, you desire that. Everyone does. That's why in just a few weeks, NFL will kick off and you'll see grown men out with their chest painted with Kansas City Chiefs right there for everyone to see when the camera zooms in on them. Like, why? They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Every single one of us has this desire. So both people have this sense of they want identity, they want purpose. Both of us are, we're all rooting that into something. Here's the question that I think Jesus wants to come to. Will Whatever we're rooting our foundation, will it hold? There's the question. Will it hold? What is the foundation and will it hold? And then here's what he says. And it's a moment he wants, Jesus wants to bring some tension here. Verse 48. And then the storm comes. So I want you to see this. These people have built their houses. And that's my cloud. And all of a sudden, a storm comes. And I want us to see this. Who does the storm come to? Both of them. I will never communicate to you, if you just believe in Jesus, all your troubles will go away. Nope, not happening. The storm comes. I was doing some research in this. This is a mountainous community. And uh, my research meant going on YouTube and getting 
an hour and a half of wasted time on there. But here's what I did, and I encourage you, to, if you want to waste some time at work tomorrow, do this. Go on YouTube and Google flash floods in the mountains. Anyone, ever been, anyone from like the West mountainous community, anyone seen this? So here's what happens in the, in the West in a mountainous community, which is, which is Israel here. It can be raining 20 miles, 30 miles up in the mountains, and you're right here in the valley having a good time with your family. Nice, beautiful day. You're not aware that it's raining up in the mountains, but what happens is that rain pours down and it starts running off the mountain. And as it comes down, it starts collecting all this debris, which slows down the front of it until more of it pass up to where by the time it gets to the valley, it becomes this wall of water. So literally, you could be standing in dry ground, you hear this sound, like, man, I hear something in the distance. And you look up, and down the creek bed, here comes this wall of water, debris, rock. And within 10, 20 seconds, this little dry creek bed has now came into a rushing flood of death. Google it. It's fascinating to see. So Jesus wants them to think about they, They've seen these floods happen. They want you to picture these two guys building a house. They've got their family. They have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, they hear something. And they hear it coming. It's the storm. It's the flood. He'll say, let me tell you this, especially students, you're young, you haven't experienced a lot of life yet, hear me, the storm will come. It will come. I don't know what that storm's going to look like for you, but the storm will come. As a community on Sunday nights, we've been praying for um, two of our covenant members, Mark and Nicole Kemp, who two weeks ago, Two or three weeks ago, brought their family to church. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, their little daughter gets an infection in the hospital, almost dies. Within a few days, perfect little healthy girl is going to fighting for her life. And we've been praying and praying and praying for her. Hear me, guys. The storm will come. We've been praying for her. It's interesting. Every Sunday night after we pray, some big thing happens there. Last week, she got food down. She just got released home. She's going to be home for six or seven weeks while they pump fluids to try to get the infection. Praise God. It it's, looks like she's going to be okay. The storm will come. I don't know what it will look like for you. For some of you, here's a storm. Um, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. You have cancer. For some of you, the storm, I want a divorce. For some of you, the storm, I'm sorry, our company's going under. We're firing. I don't know what the storm is. But here's what you got to know. The storm will come. And Jesus wants us to feel that. He wants us to know the storm. So we have these two men. They both built houses. Both of them have built a foundation, anchored it into something. Both of them experience the storm. And then what happens? Jesus says this, the man who builds his, builds his house and anchors it into the bedrock, into the rock in that place, it'll stand. Yeah, the storm will rage. There may be some repair on the outside, but the shelter is going to stand. Here's what he says, the man who built his house and anchored it in the sand like it looked good for a while, and it may have lasted for several months, but when the storm came, so the house went. What's his message to these people? Those of you that hear my words and do them, you're building 
on a rock that will stand the storm. Those of you, oh yeah, Jesus, sure, we believe in you. Just here, you're building into an identity of sand. Here's what Jesus communicates to those people. It's not just a rock. It's me. Jesus is a rock. And so his, the message of his parable is, you're building a house, all of you. You're rooting that house. You're anchoring that house into something. Will it hold? And his promise is, he will hold. Like he is that firm foundation. Now, here's what we can do. I can end the sermon right now. I'm not. Don't get your hopes up. And say, so you need to build your life on Christ. Thank you, Daniel. Amen. We can put a little coffee cup up, hand it to everyone. I built my foundation on Christ. And cute day, right? We can sing the song as I come up. The rains came down and the floods came. We can do that. Here's what always frustrates me about messages like that. Is I'm sitting here thinking, okay, that's a great little phrase. But what in the heck does that mean? Anyone else? Amen. Thank you. I'm coming like, give me something practical. Golly, like build your house on the rock. Okay. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate it, brother. We're hearing this together, just you and me. Man. So let's try to understand this. What does this look like? Every one of us are building houses, and every one of us are rooting our identity into something. Here is the claim of Christ. Two things. By faith. If you believe that I am the rock, meaning... I lived the life that you could not live. I hope you realize that. Jesus lived it perfect. You will never. I lived the life you cannot live. I died the death you deserve. On the cross should be you and I. Like you and I should pay for our sins. Jesus took that place. I died the death that you deserve. And I, raised, I rose from the dead showing that I have power over all, something that you and I don't have. Jesus says, by faith, if you believe that, that I am the rock and that your identity what God thinks of you is rooted in me. You will stand. And so that is a one-time decision where you say, by faith, I believe in Jesus. I am placing my faith in him. But hear me, that is a everyday decision multiple times a day. Do I believe my identity, my righteousness, and rooted in Christ alone? So when the boss comes to you tomorrow morning and says, hey, I'm sorry, we're terminating your position. That's a storm, Right? It's going to hurt. But here's the promise of Jesus. If your identity is rooted here, you will stand. Because especially men, if there's one thing that we never want to be, is the person that can't hold a job. That's, right? I mean, men, that's our identity. If it's in Christ, it will stand. Now, over here, you're like, okay, it's not just sand. Like, this person has faith, too, over here. It's not faith in Christ. It's faith in another God. And I'm not, not talking like Buddha, another God. I'm talking little g God. Let me give you an example. A lot of college students here. If I can just find a girlfriend, all of my insecurities will be gone. Ladies, if I can just find the man, the God, like the one, I will never worry about feeling like I'm not good enough. It is sinking sand. It feels good in the moment. What happens when they dump you? Right? Husbands, wives, same thing. I'm going to root my identity in what my spouse thinks of me. 
What Emily thinks of me sometimes a little if, up and down. <laughs> you can talk to her, we'll do an interview after the gathering there. Right? I can root my identity in that. But it can't hold the storms of life. Let me give you another one. Success. I'm a successful man. Look, I've got a great job. I've got a great house. I've got a great wife. I've got a great boat. I'm, I'm, uh. What happens when one of those things get taken out? There goes your identity. There goes your house. Here's a big one. Church. Can we get real? I'll just come to church. Hear me. Church will never save you. It is sand. It is sinking sand. There's nothing magical about what we do here. Like every one of us are rooting our identity into something. We are putting our faith in something. Over here, it's I believe in Jesus. I believe who he is. He defines me alone. Over here, I'm going to root it in something else. Here's the question. Can the something else hold when the storm comes? So faith. And then here's the second word that, that the Bible uses. It's repentance. Faith and repentance. Now what's repentance? Repentance just means to turn away from. So repentance is to turn away from building my identity in these things of sand and to turn towards and anchor my identity into Christ. That's what repentance means. So repentance is a one-time thing. But hear me, repentance is a daily thing. Every single day, rooting my life in Christ, turning away from those other things that would define me for my identity. Faith and repentance. That's what it looks like to root your life on Christ, to build your life on the rock of Christ. So that's why we do the hard work here at Hill City of digging. There's a phrase, a term. Because, because here's the danger. If we look at this, isn't it so easy then to say, well, man, it's all about what I do. Right? Here and do. So I got to do, do, do. No, here's what we're going to all the time tell you. You cannot earn your salvation. Hear me. You can't earn it. You can never earn it. But now, because we have salvation, here's the invitation of, of Jesus. Okay, keep rooting yourself here. So there's a term that I like. It's called this, grace-driven effort. It's grace-driven, meaning I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's all by the grace of God, but it requires effort on my part. I must do the work. So all across our church, we have men. We have men in this room who have got together and went through something called the Conquer Series. You know what the Conquer Series is? It helps them fight their addiction to, to sex, pornography, all that. And it's raw. It's real. And every dude at some level fights that battle. And so we've got some guys that come and get them together and said, listen, we are not going to anchor our identity into something that's sand any longer. And we're going to fight. We're going to fight together. That's what it looks like, grace-driven effort. All across this room, we have women who have been through abuse in their past, sexual abuse in their past. And that comes with this wave of pain and regret and shame. But they're doing the hard work, and hear me, it's hard work, to dig and root out what's there. You know why? Because they don't want to find their identity in something else, what men think of them. 
Like, that's the culture of our church. It's like, listen, we're all broken. We all need the grace of God. Let's, let's get together. Let's root out these things together. Let's just be real. Like, you, hear, hear me, guys. Hill City is a place you do, do not have to hide. You do not have to pretend like you have it all together. And we will join you. We will help you root out what you're building your righteousness on. Now, why? Let's close it like this. Why does Jesus tell this story? What's he want us to take away? What's he want us to see? Here's what I'd argue. The whole reason we're doing this work of building on the rock, it's our joy. Can you imagine this guy, the sand guy? He's sitting back. The storm has come and it's beating across his house and he's seeing his house get torn apart and washed away. Can you feel his sadness? Can you, can, you, can you get a sense of the memories he's thinking of that will never take place now in that house? Can you feel the weight of loss? That's what Jesus wants you to hear. He wants you to hear, like, listen, this isn't earn your way to me, like build a good house to get to heaven. No, it's like for your joy. Because the thing in which you are building on, if it's not Christ, it is sinking sand that will one day, like memories gone, life ruined, marriage apart, Kids fractured, sinking sand. And this is a message from Jesus to believers. In the book of Matthew, and this is how I'll close, right before Jesus tells this parable, there's this really hard words that he says. Here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Remember how he started the parable? All of you that say, Lord, Lord, but do not do what I do. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, the will of my Father who's in heaven, who does. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works? Did we not go to Hill City Church? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Here's what he's saying. Like on that day, a bunch of people like... Jesus, I went to church every single Sunday. He's like, yeah, you're right, but you kept all of your struggles to yourself and never battled you rooting your identity in approval of others or success or control or all these other things. You never battled it. You, kept, you weren't following me. That wasn't your God. These things were your God. That's what he's saying. I'm so, I'm so thankful this text came on this day right when school starts. I want to say this with, with as much grace and love as I can say, the truth. Every year, kind of this time, and I know we have a bunch of college students in town that, that just got here, but there's also a lot of adults that are just like, you know what, we need to get back in church. Just got to get in church. I want to raise my kids in church. I love you. Listen to me. We will meet you wherever you are. We will walk with you wherever you are, but I got to tell you the truth. Church will not save you. It will not fix you. This won't. When you before, appear before God and he's, hey, where's your identity? You're like, well, Hill City. He's like, no, Hill City ain't here. Church will not save you. Now again, we'll walk with you. We'll meet you where you are. Jesus wants to know that he is the rock. He's the only rock in which our faith will stand. And now he invites us to the table and to come to the table, to communion, is to acknowledge, I believe in Christ. It's what you're acknowledging. 
He's my foundation. And then as you take the bread and the juice and you leave, it reminds yourself, like, I got to keep doing the work. I got to keep, keep digging. I got to keep rooting out these other idols that pop in my life because they pop up for me all the time, all the time. I've got to keep digging, keep digging. My faith is in Christ. And now I dig in repentance.